kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night, it's 6 o'clock, and it's another edition of Auntie and Annie. Uh, With me, as always, is the graciously wonderful and supremely talented Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you tonight, Miss Jeannie? None of that, but otherwise... (laughs) Yes, you are. How are you, Miss Jim? I'll get to that. In a minute. Hi, Barry. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I uh, I read uh, the 535-page torture report. So I'm not super um, sparky this evening, I guess. But, um, you know, I've got lots more uh, government documents to wait through. <laughs> <laughs> The the one point one trillion dollar spending bill looks like it's going to be lots of fun. I, love I did how say that like this is going to be improvement <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, the optimist you are, Jan. Always the optimist. Well, there are there are actually um, bright spots. Not in the torture report. There was no bright spots in that. But um, there are actually bright spots in the spending bill, but there's also a lot of really dark reading. But, you know, it is the time of year where uh, the government decides that uh, we need to bail out the banks again, and they put that in the spending bill. I found that so far. So hopefully it, it looks up from that point. <laughs> Cause, uh, You're not I, counting I, on that, though, right? I, no, not so much. Not okay. really. But... Uh, I figure it's it's good to be informed. That way, I can save everybody else the pain of having to read it and tell you what I've read. It's better, isn't it? It's got to be a better deal for you guys. I'm what? not so sure about that. <laughs> I don't have to read it anyway, so I've got my own ones to read. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got. Um, well, you've got legislation there that I don't envy you having to wade through either. Yeah, this is yeah, this is why we have so many different types of lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, n- none of them are good enough to know it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, uh, they specialize, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, certain ones can only write certain kinds of laws because um, I, I think the answer to that is money. Because money. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's the answer. Could be wrong. Well, the only, the only people that do well out of government legislation are indeed the lawyers. I don't think that's true. I, I think the bankers tend to do well. Um, I think the government officials tend to do really well. Um, and I think it's just the poor people at the bottom who wind up getting, you know, kicked in the crotch repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Well, the UK, we've had 40% of our austerity cuts. 60% to go, allegedly. You know, fun. <laughs> austerity is something dreamed up by the IMF and the World Bank. Yeah. You know, while while they're stealing your natural resources and selling them... They're telling you, well, you've just got to tighten the belt. And, you know, meanwhile, old people are freezing to death and eating out of dumpsters. So, Oh, no, no, no. no the old people over here do quite well. well they're, they're, uh, they're doing are better protected. than Greece, then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's, it's one of the biggest voting groups in the UK. So, yeah, they keep them sweet. I want to yeah. go live in that country that, that murdered all the bankers when they... Fucked up. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I keep saying we should have a banking Hunger Games, though. I think that would be good. Wasn't um, that like Iceland, Greenland? Iceland, Iceland didn't murder up. them, but they did put them on trial. I do know North Korea hanged two or three bankers last year. Yeah, I, I keep track of uh, bankers getting killed. I'm funny like that. Um, yeah, North Korea hung two or three of them. Uh, one other country executed a couple, and a couple of other countries have actually jailed some. But they're probably like low-level nobodies who had nothing to do with the actual. As I say, the Russians theft. killed some, but that yeah. course is not proven. They just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oops. We don't know what happened to that banker. Off to Siberia. Morgan have not been seen again. <laughs> yeah. Well. Banking is a dangerous business, I think. Uh, although, you know, it's mostly about crossing the government, I think, more than anything. Um, I, I guess since we've had the fun banker talk, um, the show can only go up from here. That was a joke. <laughs> it can only, the mood can only get lighter. Um, I'm going to start with this. Beware social media to help assess your threat rating. Recent events have steered the national focus onto aggressive law enforcement, and the public is not at ease with the situation. I didn't write this, okay? Physical and aggressive police behavior has people wondering what else is in store for them. Well, they didn't have long to wonder, as new information is emerging regarding a different type of aggressive policing. It is a form of targeted policing which comes as a result of a massive surveillance data collected around specific people, specific neighborhoods, and even more variables. This new data mining technology is eerily reminiscent of the pre-crime unit in Tom Cruise's Minority Report film set in 2054. I, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think they have psychics in a tank. Um, where the police unit captures murderers before they have even made their kill. Although the concept in the movie remains... Just a really good science fiction idea. I don't think that's a good idea. 
there are so many advances in today's technology that are gearing towards predictive policing by simply gathering data from publicly available online information such as social media. One such surveillance technique is software offered by New World System that lets police dispatchers simply look up a person's name to see if they've ever had any contact with the police before. Another software, called PredPol, claims it can forecast risk times in place for future crimes. Reuters' report claims $7 billion worth of federal funding is now going into public safety organizations to build a nationwide responder wireless network called FirstNet. A basic use of this network is to better service is to make services like 911 better, um, but there's more to it than that. Since 2012, an application called Beware has been sold to many police departments, and it serves to collect billions of records of commercial and public data from criminal records to Internet chatter to give back profiles in real time. The company's website basically sells Beware as an application that collects data in seconds, to alert 911 responders to potentially deadly and dangerous situations while en route to or at the location of a call. Using the data it is gathered in mere seconds, Beware then warns the officer of the threat rating of the person, according to an article in an Illinois newspaper. The Beware website explains how quickly it scans electronic devices. Accessed through any browser, fixed or mobile, on any internet device, including tablets, smartphones, laptop, and desktop computers, Beware from Entrado searches, sorts, and scores billions of commercial records in a matter of seconds, alerting responders to potentially deadly and dangerous situations when en route to or at the location of a call. Let us say a 911 dispatcher sends an officer to check out a situation at a certain house. Using the home address, the officers enter that into a beware, and beware sends back to the officer information about the home, including who lives there, their cell phone numbers, their past convictions, if any, cars, etc. But that's not all. Here's where it gets more interesting. Beware will then run a complete online check to find this person's online persona in social media, comments, purchases, and any other online record. Beware then analyzes that information and issues a threat level. The threat level could be high, for example, if the person has made offensive comments online at some point in their lives. To a layman, there are many things wrong with this picture. Allowing an application to label a person as a possible threat based on their online contributions may affect police behavior and decisions. Taking into account what is happening, uh, yeah. Uh, people usually rely on their mental capacities in making judgments in a serious situation. Relying on an algorithm to tell you whether the person before you poses a threat or not seems odd. Would such an application mean more scrutiny to certain groups of people, to poor people and people in problematic neighborhoods? If that were not worrying enough, we should recognize that technologies like this one allow the police to regularly monitor obedience of people based on the whims of lawmakers turning us into a nanny state and putting us under routine code enforcement. It can also encourage police to start indiscriminate surveillance while trying to find offenders, but not those that were caught in the act. Beware was used at a fish concert in Colorado once where police used it to check people's car license plates looking for possible troublemakers. Maybe minority report was not so far off the mark after all. Technologies like beware can actually empower law enforcement agencies to launch criminal investigations to create reasonable suspicion for suspects flagged by federal agencies. This means search warrants can be issued 
due to the data from Beware. Arrest could take place and the defendant would not even be able to challenge how legal his surveillance was before getting arrested. There is no more caught in the act. Beware and other such technologies are predicting your possible criminal acts and allowing your surveillance. The wrong predictive policing is used. The more local police and other federal, federal agencies have to keep things hushed up rather than disclose how they gained such information in the first place. The reason is that federal agencies do not allow the discussion of such technologies, and there have been cases where police dropped evidence. Again, a defendant in court, rather than admit the information that they had on the defendant, was obtained through mobile tracking. If more of the public are made aware of this kind of equipment and its uses and purpose, then maybe the police would not be able to purchase it. Oh, God. Okay. Um, one such place, one such case took place in Bellingham in Washington when police were given a federal grant to purchase Beware. At a mandatory public hearing, citizens understood how Beware worked and refused the purchase, so the deal fell through. To those citizens, the mayor did have an application reading some of your online comments and deciding you're a major threat, possibly based on some online joke of yours, could have armed police crashing into your homes. <clears throat> um, because Beware said you were dangerous is frightening. Predictive policing, like the Big Brother notion of old, will continue to worry the average citizen. While it may keep crime off our streets, it still needs a lot of guidance and training before it's put to use. Thoughts? Anybody? I, um, you know, this is one part of the phone call last night uh, on Kevin's show. I was really glad I wasn't a part of Jan. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think... I think that if people are worried about Big Brother, I think that the Big Brother they need to be worried about is more on a federal level than it is a local level. Um, there's assholes out there everywhere mm -hmm. in every job profession that there is. Um, and if, for example, this software was used, I'd be in fucking jail think a lot of us would um how many times and, have you heard me say i'm gonna kick your fucking ass <laughs> with, with me i don't think it's so much that and i gotta tell you i really wouldn't be worried about my local law enforcement agents i don't think you can put the stuff out in social media that i put out in social media and not have people run to your house and think you know this woman is going to kill us all she's crazy um and i'm not you know i think i'm reasonably sane considering all the reading of government documents i do um and all the news i read i think i'm reasonably sane um but i'm pretty unhappy with the state that the world and my government's in and i'm not going to be quiet about it i don't want something like that to make me feel like i have to be quiet for fear of the government with a big G, not the government with the little G at the local level targeting me. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. For me, that's where most of the fear of this stuff comes from. Not from the local guys, because most of them, at least here, live in town. We know them. Um, it's different with the federal agencies. 
and that's my opinion on that. I, I don't so much have a problem with it. I have a problem with people who don't know you having access to it because how something appears to a computer is a whole lot different than how it appears to someone who actually knows you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, very anything? Eh. The software <laughs> doesn't actually work that well. Uh, they've, well. Been, they've been playing with it for 20 years and they still got to get it to work right. Right. The problem being, as I've said before, lots of the really dangerous people don't go around talking about it on social media because <laughs> they're not that stupid. <laughs> you know, so the the guy who's a mass murderer, funnily enough, and knows how to skin you alive, doesn't tend to talk about it on uh, Facebook that often. Mm, probably not that much. But I don't know. Uh, just the idea that software is doing it and not a person. I think that's what bothers me more than anything. It's just, it's just data mining. I, All I the corporations that. do it. The government's mm, kind of late that. to the party. And I get that, but I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm already uncomfortable with the level of data the federal government has on me from, let's say, my shopping habits and anything else I do. And I, I, I put that out there. I don't hide anything about myself. Um, because although it makes me wary, I, I'm not willing to give up my privacy out of fear. You know, I mean, it's out there. Someone can see it. Um, I'm not going to stop living my life and being afraid because of this even though I find it troublesome and worrying. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the problem with the the current police drive for this sort of software is uh, somebody high ups watch the net and, and, and thinks it's a good idea. You well, remember that film? Yeah. I know exactly. The hackers changing people's identities and everything. Yeah. Which, well. which it's true, they can. It's mm -hmm. always ever since computers were invented people have been able to manipulate them right. it's not new um, very true and police using software like this they'll open themselves up to being hacked even more than they are now <laughs> oh did anybody see the World Health Organization uh, website got hacked by was it hackers from Peru or hackers from Rio Something they're unhappy like with them funnily yeah. enough and they changed all their directory files and stuff around yeah. It was quite amusing logging onto their site for a couple of days. Um, but I guess they got it fixed. Um, but I guess, see, that that's the point. If it makes you vulnerable, it makes everyone else who has the technology just as vulnerable. Yeah. The only People way to have a completely secure system is to not have it connected to the phones or the internet. Yeah. Basically, go back to writing each other notes on paper yeah. and handing them to each other in public. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Meeting in smoky cafes. Sorry, <laughs> vapey cafes. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be vapey anymore, I guess. Um, did anybody see the, the next story? I'm on the Peru story. Yeah. 
did anybody see that before about Peru and Greenpeace? No, I hadn't seen that. Uh, they've been arguing for quite a while. <sighs> they have a good reason to argue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Peruvian officials say <clears throat> it will sue activists from the environmental pressure group Greenpeace after they placed a banner next to the Nazca Lines heritage site. The activists entered a restricted area next to the ancient ground markings depicting a hummingbird and laid down letters advocating renewable energy. Peru is currently hosting the UN Climate Change Summit in its capital, Lima. A Greenpeace spokeswoman said that the group was investigating, but it act- its activists had been absolutely careful. Oh, fuck and that. Look at the pictures of them. They're wearing running shoes. Okay. Uh, Louis... Jamie Castello, a Peruvian deputy culture minister, said Peru would file charges of attacking archaeological monuments against the activists from Argentina, Austria, Brazil, Chile, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Greenpeace says its activists were careful not to damage the Nazca lines. A Greenpeace spokesperson said the activists had walked along a path created by earlier tire tracks. He said the Nazca lines, which are an estimated 1,500 to 2,000 years old, are absolutely fragile. This is what their deputy minister of archaeology said. You walk there and a footprint is going to last hundreds or thousands of years. The lines depicting animals, stylized plants, and imaginary figures were declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1994. They haven't touched the hummingbird figure but now we have an additional figure created by the footsteps of these people, Mr. Catello, Castello told local radio. Greenpeace spokeswoman Tina Very Lawful Bang. Yeah, her. Said that activists had been absolutely careful to protect the Nazca lines when they laid out the yellow letters and cloth reading Time for Change, the Future is Renewable on the Desert Ground on Monday. Mr. Costello said the Peruvian government had nothing against the message, but the end doesn't justify the means. I don't know. The ends does not justify the means. No, it doesn't. And the ends were really pathetic. So Yeah, it really is not all that impressive. And I mean, risking damaging a unique place Mm -hmm. just and the fact to that it's an organization called Greenpeace, for fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> They're supposed to be protecting the planet, mm-hmm. not messing it up. And yeah, I mean, that site's unique. And, and as it says, you know, footprints mean, there are lost almost I mean, hey, forever. go spray paint the ground at Easter Island and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I just, it's just not behavior that I would expect from an organization named Greenpeace. No. Well... You know, it just goes to show you a lot of people think the ends will always justify the means. There are places in national parks in this country that you can't walk because the dirt is an ancient kind of dirt. And if you disturb it, it stops being the special, unique kind of dirt. You know, and you get fined for that shit if you walk on it. Yeah, and R.K. I mean, put in chat that he heard yesterday that Dick Cheney said the end does justify the means. Well, Dick Cheney's a fucking idiot, R.K. Yeah. <laughs> Dick, Dick Cheney, the things that he is for, the things that I read in that report, he, he needs to experience all of them. 
um, before you advocate doing anything to another person, you need to have it done to you first. That's just the way it should be. Um, My ex-sister-in-law is a police officer in town. And to carry a taser, she had to be tased. Now, yeah, that, that just that, kind of makes same sense. with our police department here. If they want to carry a taser, they have to go through training and they have to be tased. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I think Dick Cheney should, um, I think he should be forced to go through rectal rehydration, which according to him and his buddies is a medical necessity. Uh, he should also have to be strapped down and forced to go through rectal feeding which has no fucking basis in science or medicine. Um, and, and those are two of the nicer things I think he should have to go through. I really don't like that man. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I guess I'll move on from there. House committee faults FDIC for participation in Operation Choke Point. In May, we reported on a House Oversight and Government Reform Committee expose that substantiated improper activities by the Department of Justice under the guise of Operation Choke Point. While the DOJ insisted the operation was meant to protect the soundness of America's financial system by targeting fraudulent businesses, the committee report concluded that the true goal of the operation was to choke out legitimate industries that regulators considered objectionable. Among others, these included firearms and ammunition sales and tobacco sales. A new report by the committee, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation's involvement in Operation Choke Point, makes equally damning findings about the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the primary federal regulator of the state-chartered banks outside the Federal Reserve System. According to the report, FDIC officials targeted legal industries and deliberately portrayed disfavored business types as high risk to send a message to banks about the regulatory consequences of dealing with them. Remember how hard it was for our guys to get credit card processing? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is that. A lot of them still have issues from time to time. I mean, it, it happens all over the place. It does. They did so, moreover, based on FDIC officials' own judgments about the moral standing of these industries as a whole, rather than on the compliance and financial performance of individual companies. The report also concludes that senior FDIC official statements under oath to Congress materially mischaracterized the degree of cooperation between the FDIC and the Department of Justice in implementing the program, as well as the program's international targeting of specific business sectors. As a consequence of Operation Choke Point, the report states, banks are indiscriminately terminating business relationships with legal and legitimate merchants across a variety of business lines. In particular, the report cites several examples of firearm and ammunition businesses that have suffered the ill effects of banks being effectively forced to drop lawful and well-performing clients. The experience of firearm and ammunition dealers, one of the most heavily regulated businesses in the United States, is a testament to the destructive and unacceptable impact of Operation Choke Point, it states. It further notes how, in representative cases, the financial institutions and payment processors made no reference to the merchant's creditworthiness, individual risk profile, or due diligence findings. Rather, the sole basis for the termination is their participation in industry deemed high risk by federal regulators. 
Indeed, the animosity of federal regulators towards firearm and ammunition sellers was so well understood that at least one private producer of compliance and risk management training software for bank employees, including a related warning in its program. Ludicrously, and without justification, it advises arms and ammunition dealers are identified as higher-risk businesses because they have a higher risk of being associated with terrorism and terrorist acts. I would love to know what they say about vaping. Just what caused the FDIC to lump firearm and ammunition sales in with such inherently fraudulent or improper operations as Ponzi schemes, racist materials, and drug paraphernalia? The FDIC has not offered an official explanation. While it purported to identify criteria common to high-risk merchants, none of these factors applied to gun shops victimized by the operation. Under federal law, retail firearm sales must occur in face-to-face transactions between licensed dealers and customers, leaving a paper trail that remains accessible to law enforcement officers and compliance auditors. Yet the FDIC claimed risk factors included, one, the consumer's lack of familiarity with the merchant, Two, uncertainty with respect to the quality of goods and services being offered. Three, online or telephone sales. And four, the customer's ability to verify the identity or legitimacy of the merchant. The report implied, offered, impliedly, offered another potential explanation in a lengthy examination of how the FDIC regulators characterized another targeted business, payday lenders, personal and, and animus towards payday lending, it states, is apparent throughout the documents produced to the committee. This even included one senior FDIC official's directive to always mention pornography when discussing payday lending, the better to convey a good picture regarding the unsavory nature of the business on the high-risk list. Needless to say, the current administration's attitude towards the firearm and ammunition industry is similarly condemning. President Obama last year characterized congressional rejection of his demands for gun control as shameful and alleged the gun lobby and its allies willfully lied about the expanded background check bill defeated in the Senate. More recently, outgoing U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder called the administration's inability to translate the horror of Newtown into increased federal gun control something that I take personally as a failure. And so when you were running guns into Mexico, that was a personal high point. While the report leaves open the question of how high up the chain of command, the creation of choke points target list reached, numerous federal officials officially concluded that firearm and ammunition sales should similarly be treated as obscene. House Oversight and Government Reform Committee Chairman Daryl Issa is to be commendated on his leadership in pursuing and exposing the corruption of Operation Choke Point. Internal investigators at the DOG, J, and FDIC are even now pursuing formal inquiries into the program and officials and staff involved. Hopefully this will lead to more transparency and accountability. This should also be a recurring theme in vetting Eric Holder's replacement as U.S. Attorney General. Yes, because you can always trust the government to investigate itself. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, we just caught you t- stealing a chicken from the hen house. I investigated and I did nothing wrong. They're kind of like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I the behavior know. of the banks and the government since the financial crisis, it's getting ridiculous. Um, I watched a documentary a couple of weeks back. 
the British government brought in an entrepreneur to have a look at um, how banks were treating small businesses. Mm-hmm. And the report basically said they're deliberately causing businesses to fail so they can take back the loans and make money from it. And within two weeks of the report being published, the, the guy's own bank had closed his bank account saying he wasn't a suitable customer. <laughs> this guy's a multi-millionaire. You know, the banks get away with some shit. They really do. Um, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, about the only thing I think that Occupy Wall Street got right was at the heart of so many problems we have is banking. But it's not the banking they think it is. It's not yeah. just Bank of America. It goes from the Federal it's Reserve the right on down. It's the hedge fund culture. Well, it, it, it is. It's, it, always, it's, 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 it's the few that mm-hmm. are... Because most bankers, yeah, they're just doing good old-fashioned banking. But it's these guys doing all the gambling. Involving imaginary stock market stuff and betting against each other, basically. Well, I mean, yeah. Part of what I read in the horrible, horrible spending bill is that it's bad. I haven't read a government document that I've enjoyed reading since I read... The first one I read was when we first bailed out the banks. Anybody remember that? That thing was a masterpiece of just horror. It was one of the worst things I've ever read. And the government has not improved their writing style at all. It doesn't matter what subject they're talking about. But part of the $1.1 trillion spending bill that made me sick basically says that we're on the hook again if banks lose money through derivative sales. Derivatives should be fucking illegal. Yeah. You know, uh, let's bundle up all this crap and just sell it to somebody. Here you go. Here's a bundle of crap. You don't even know what you have. But yeah. there you go. You own it. The, well, um, that's like trading the- in futures. I think that's, I think trading in futures should be illegal. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of stuff that should be illegal. There's it future derivatives exist as yet. well. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's basically um, they've turned investment into roulette. Mm-hmm. Yep. More like, money, we're, more we're money, just, more we're money. Just gonna, yeah, you and pay for this, and then this real. it can work or not. Go ahead, Jeannie. I mean, it's, you know, add into what Barry said, it's, you know, how about, well, let's just pretend this is real. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's kind of where we are with the money. Money is now Santa Claus. We've got nothing backing it. There's nothing behind it. Well, I mean, there is something behind it, but we're not the dominant culture that can buy oil anymore. Okay. We're not the reserve currency of the world. You see other countries are switching to yen and rubles, dinars, you know, whatever. They're switching to other forms of currency to buy things internationally. And the reason they're doing that is because our government's printed so much money now that the only thing that keeps the banks afloat 
and keeps the government running and keeps people getting their social security checks is the fact that money is now like Santa Claus. It only exists because people believe in it. It's now mathematically impossible for our government to pay down the debt. We have nothing and money only exists because we believe it does. So it is pretty interesting stuff. And we've just decided we're going to create 1.1 trillion more out of nothing because God forbid we should shut the fucking government down for a couple of days. Save some money there. <laughs> I think it might nice to be quite nice to have a little vacation from their help. Speaking of the horrible, horrible spending bill that I'm actually winding my way through reading. Somebody else has read through it and they're a reporter, so take a lot of this with a grain of salt. The $1.1 trillion spending bill approved by the Senate Saturday includes emergency funding and dozens of policy riders that will affect policy throughout the government. This woman needs an editor. The main purpose of this bill is to keep the government funded, and the so-called Cromnibus includes 11 appropriations bills that will fund most of the government through September 2015. It also includes a continuing resolution that funds the Department of Homeland Security through February 27th. This is to answer GOP critics of President Obama's immigration executive actions who had pushed to defund the agency. Here's a look at some of the key writers in the bill. Wall Street Unreform. The bill includes language repealing part of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Law that will allow banks covered by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation to directly engage in derivatives trading. This set off the biggest political storm for legislation as Senator Elizabeth Warren led a liberal insurrection against the White House, which decided not to fight Republicans over the measure. Wall Street lobbied for the change, and the bill will be sent to Obama with the language in it. This means we're on the hook again when they fuck up, because they will. That was just my personal note in there. Campaign finance. The bill also raises the limits on what people can give to political committees each year, greatly increasing the money wealthy people can donate. The provision would allow a wealthy donor to contribute a total of more than $1.55 million to a national party. House Democratic leader. Hmm? Which means all hail Bloomberg can do whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. And, of course, House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi lambasted the change in a floor speech in which she broke with the White House over the bill. Of course, you can say anything you want, you fucking cow. Um, D.C. Marijuana. The bill prevents Washington, D.C. from implementing new referendum that legalizes recreational use of marijuana. D.C. I, I don't even know what that is. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton complained that it was another example of Congress stepping on local rule, but she won few allies in her position in Congress. Sage grouse. The bill would prevent the government for one year from listing sage grouse as an endangered species in an effort to protect oil drilling project. School lunches. The legislation relaxes nutritional standards championed by First Lady Michelle Obama. One change would allow schools the flexibility to implement whole grain nutrition standards, while another prevents new standards to reduce sodium from taking effect until additional scientific studies are conducted. The White House said it could live with the changes. 
pensions. <sighs> they're coming for it. The huh? bill permits pensions. They're they're coming to take it away. Um, hmm. the, which we know. The bill permits trustees of underfunded pension plans to adjust benefits, adjust benefits, saving troubled plans without a federal bailout. But the language crafted by House Education and Workforce Committee Chairman John Klein and Ranking Member George Miller could lead to cuts in the pensions of people covered by the plans. ISIS. In a victory for the White House, the bill contains $64 billion for the Pentagon to use for its overseas contingency operations, including the fight against the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. It allocates $5 billion from that fund for the administration to fight the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, slightly less than what the White House asked for. Ebola. The bill meets another administration demand, including $5.4 billion in emergency funding to fight Ebola. While that's not as much as the $6.2 billion requested by the White House, the inclusion of the funds bolstered Obama's support for the measure. Body cameras. The bill doesn't contain funding for body cameras for police, which Obama had requested after the outcry over police killings and grand jury decisions not to indict the officers involved. The spending package does provide funding for other related community policing programs. The bill also doesn't include funding for high-speed rail, the Obama administration's Race to the Top Education Campaign Program, and for the International Monetary Fund. Yeah, one good thing. Good. The IMF deserves fuck all from us. And we should tell the UN to get the fuck out too. Sorry, just saying. <laughs> I'm on a roll. So I was talking about pension funds. Yeah. And, and by the way, this this entire article set me off. Just so you know. Well, um, it, it pisses me off too because you know what? If you pay into this shit and you can't opt out, then it's not what they say it is. And and these people were promised this for service that they've already done. That's okay. The government had the government had its fingers crossed and did takey takey backsies, like it always does. Congress could soon allow pension plans to cut benefits for current retirees. Okay, as part of an agreement to address the fiscal distress confronting some of the nation's 1,400 multi-employer pension plans. Several unions and pension advocates opposing the move, which would be unprecedented, say that permitting financially strapped plans to cut retiree benefits would violate the central promise of traditional pensions, that they would provide a defined benefit for life. This proposal would devastate retirees and their surviving spouses, said Karen Friedman, executive vice president for the Pension Rights Center, a nonprofit group. The proposal would also torpedo basic protections of the federal private pension law that states that once, that states that once benefits are earned, they can't be cut back. Several of the nation's large multi-employer pension plans are on course that would leave them insolvent within a decade. If that occurred, the federal insurance fund that protects the retiree benefits of more than 10 million Americans in multi-employer plans could collapse. In a proposal made more than a year ago, a coalition of plan trustees and unions said the only way to salvage most of the distressed plans without a government bailout 
is to allow them to cut retirement benefits before they run out of money. This reduction would be voted on by the trustees of individual plans as well as retirees under proposals being negotiated by lawmakers. Advocates point out that the plan laid out by the coalition would leave pensioners in distressed plans with more than what they would receive from government pension insurance if their plans failed. The plans that are headed for insolvency would have benefits cut under existing law. At least this proposal would preserve benefits above the existing law. In recent weeks, negotiations over the proposal have heated up on Capitol Hill. Still, some key elements are unresolved, including a way to satisfy objections from the UPS, which withdrew from one of the most distressed plans in 2007, but would be on the hook to make up for any pension cuts affecting its retirees. If those details can be ironed out, congressional aid said an agreement is possible before the current session of Congress ends this month. See, and they called it a lame duck Congress. Members are still discussing details about a possible legislative solution to the multi-employer pension crisis and remain hopeful Congress will act before the end of the year. Any decisions regarding how a possible solution might move through the legislative process will be made by leadership at the appropriate time. Yeah, by like sneaking it into a fucking spending bill. I think I think that any of these people in Congress that vote for any of these cuts should have to have the same cuts against them. Well, I mean, now, see, now you're just talking fairness, and that doesn't happen. It's always been us and them, the people that have, and then us at the bottom that get ground down and stepped on. It gets a little old. <laughs> ah, it really does get old. Okay, I can't even read the rest of that. It pisses me off so badly. But um, it's not a surprise. Here, I'm going to cut your health insurance down so that if you get sick... It's only going to cost you 80% of the bill, but I'm going to keep my free medical for life. Because I wear a suit to work. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I really, I think it's a mistake to believe that the people who wear suits to work are any better than the people who wear blue jeans and dockers to work. Those are the people that really, those are the honest people. It's, it's men in suits who have destroyed the country. It's, it's yeah, and the I men. don't mean men in suits that drive themselves. I mean the men in suits that, you know, <laughs> have limo drivers and aides and interns and, yeah, the, those fucking schmucks. <laughs> it's, it's the men behind the desks. It's the men involved with the money. Those are the ones who have put the middle class into a world of shit. And I would like to say thank you because I really didn't enjoy eating meat because now I can't afford to. So thanks for that. That was really great. Okay. Congress quietly bolsters NSA spying and intelligence bill. There's a shocker, huh? They would never do that. It grants the executive branch virtually unlimited access to the communications of every American, warned Representative Justin Amash. December 11th. Congress this week quietly passed a bill that may give unprecedented legal authority to the government's warrantless surveillance powers, despite a last-minute effort by Representative Justin Amash to kill the bill. Amash staged an aggressive 11th-hour rally Wednesday night to block passage of the Intelligence Authorization Act, 
which will fund intelligence agencies for the next fiscal year. The Michigan Republican sounded alarms over recently amended language in the package that said he will, for the first time, give congressional backing to a controversial Reagan-area decree granting broad surveillance authority to the president. The 47-page intelligence bill, which, I mean, I guess I can throw that up in chat if you'd like to make yourself sick, was headed towards a voice vote when Amash rose to the House floor to ask for a roll call. Despite his efforts, which included a Dear Colleagues letter sent to all members of the House urging a no vote, the bill passed 325 to 100, with 55 Democrats and 45 Republicans opposing. The provision in question is one of the most egregious sections of law I've encountered during my time as a representative, Amash wrote on his Facebook page, which he always does. He explains every vote every day. I love Justin Amash. He's one of the reasons I'm still at Facebook. Um, The Tea Party libertarian who teamed up with Representative John Coyers last year in an almost successful bid to defund the NSA in the wake of the Snowden revelations warned that the provision grants the executive branch virtually unlimited access to the communications of every American. The measure, already passed by the Senate, by unanimous consent on Tuesday, and it is now on its way to the White House, where President Obama is expected to sign it. The objections from Amash and others arose from language in bills in the bill section 309, which includes a phrase to allow for the acquisition, retention, and dissemination of U.S. phone and Internet data. That passage, they warn, will give unprecedented statutory authority to allow for the surveillance of private communications that currently exist only under a decades-old presidential decree known as Executive Order 12333. If this hadn't been snuck in, I doubt it would have passed, said Representative Zoe Lofgren, a California Democrat who voted against the bill. A lot of members were not even aware that this new provision had been inserted last minute because when you're a congressman, you don't fucking read. Uh, Had we been given an additional day, we may have stopped it. Because it takes a day to read 45 fucking pages. Stop fucking voting on shit you haven't read, you moron. We have to pass it to see what's in it. I'm sorry. Trouble for voting on shit that I (laughs) didn't know anything about last night. (laughs) And that was just a vaping show. But if you'd have been... I don't get paid for this fucking job. (laughs) And if you had been in Congress, you would have been fine with it, though. That would have been fine with Congress. Apparently. A spokesman for the Senate Intelligence Committee pushed back on claims that the section will strengthen NSA surveillance authority. Nothing in Section 309 authorizes any intelligence collection acquisition at all, the spokesman said in an email. The only thing the section does is require new procedures governing the information the intelligence community already collects. The purpose of the section is to limit the intelligence community's existing ability to retain information, including U.S. person information. Lofgren, however, noted the language was the exact opposite of what the White House passed this summer. She was referring to an amendment she championed that would have required the NSA to obtain a warrant before reading Americans' private messages that were collected through a program intended to target foreigners. Congress is authorizing something very questionable constitutionally, Lofgren added. 
a tech industry lobbyist, added, the language is broad and depending on how it is implemented, does little to help restore the public's lack of trust in U.S. government surveillance programs. I would take out, strike the last two words from that and say, does little to help restore the public's lack of trust in the U.S. government. Backers of the section argue it would actually limit to five years the amount of time communications data could be kept at intelligence agencies, certain exemptions permitting. But it is generally acknowledged that such data is rarely kept beyond five years, which Amaj characterized as a trade-off that provides a novel statutory basis for the executive branch's capture and use of Americans' private communications. The provisions in the Intel authorization appear to be an attempt by Congress to place statutory restrictions on the retention of information collected under Executive Order 12333, which is not subject to court oversight, has not been authorized by Congress, and raises serious privacy concerns, said Nima Gulieri. I'm sure her last name isn't actually Gulieri. I'm sure something that doesn't sound zombie-like. Uh, legislative counsel with the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, what, what would you say her last name was? Oh, Giuliani. Um, however, these restrictions are far from adequate, contain enormous loopholes, and notably completely exclude the information of non-U.S. persons. Executive Order 12333, we've talked about that before, is not as widely known as the controversial Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act, which allows for mass collection of domestic phone metadata, like Section 702 of the FISA Act. 12333 is intended to target foreign surveillance, although an unknown amount of U.S. data is incidentally tracked, particularly for citizens living overseas or those that communicate with foreigners. But the order, which was issued by President Reagan in 1981 and twice amended by that dickhead George W. Bush, earned a burst of attention this summer when former State Department official John Napier Tai wrote extensively about it in the Washington Post. Executive Order 12333 contains nothing to prevent the NSA from collecting and storing all such communication, content, as well as metadata, providing that such collection occurs outside the United States in the course of a lawful foreign intelligence investigation, Tai wrote. No warrant or court approval is required and such collection need never be reported to Congress. None of the reforms <clears throat> that Obama announced earlier this year will affect such collection. In September, four House Democrats asked the Obama administration to make public all current and future legal options or interpretations considering 12333, a request that thus far has gone unheeded. In their letter, Representatives Connors, Lofgren, Alan Grayson, and Rush Holt joined with a number of privacy groups to express concerns about that order, saying that secret law is a threat to democracy. Earlier this year, the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board announced it would begin a review of the legality of 12333. President Obama in January promised to reform the NSA's mass domestic spying, but he said he would wait for Congress to enact broader reforms. A bill intended to rein in several aspects of the government surveillance died in the Senate last month, falling two votes short of the 60-vote threshold needed to advance. <laughs> so bad that it puts you to sleep? I believe so. <laughs> well... <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> Poor Perry. I feel bad for him. Well, now now we know what'll cure his insomnia. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> All I have to do is uh really read something long about the intelligence community and that shit is boring. But um you have to admit the government has figured out the secret to doing evil shit. They put it inside of something really fucking boring. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I, I, I can't. Okay. <laughs> is it me, Jeannie, or is this show turning out to be funnier than I thought? It's funnier than what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, we're still, okay, we're still on. Um, how about this one? Obamacare is funneling billions to defense contractors. I I think Ferry doesn't approve of it, but we're going to go with that. Jonathan Gruber isn't the only one who got rich off Obamacare. Several big government contractors are raking in megabucks to help the government take over the nation's health care system. Gruber made news when it came to light that the Obama administration had paid the stupid American calling MIT economist roughly $400,000 to help build Obamacare, and several states paid him big bucks as well to build their exchanges. But that is just the tip of the Obamacare bonanza. In the last fiscal year, Health and Human Services spent $21 billion on contracts with private firms. That's more than it spent on Obamacare exchange subsidies, $17 billion, or new Medicaid enrollees, $20 billion, the Congressional Budget Office reports. <laughs> should, should we just call it a day? <laughs> and this regress is climbing fast. A report from Kaiser Health News finds that spending on HHS contracts has shot up more than 50% since 2008. Compared with a decade ago, it's up 148%. Defense Department contracts, in contrast, are down since 2004 and by nearly 40% since 2008. As a result, HHS is now the third largest contracting agency in government behind only the Defense and Energy Department. The Kaiser Report also shows that traditional defense contractors like General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and Booz Allen are increasingly turning to HHS for business thanks to cutbacks in the defense and the explosion in Obamacare spending. Last year alone, six of the biggest cleared $2.3 billion. General Dynamics just got $814 million, mainly to help with Obamacare call centers. Defense, our giant Serco, got more than $400 million, much of it for collecting paper applications after the online marketplace failed. What's the rest of the money for? Buying medical records software, insurance websites, claims processing, data analysis, computer system overhauls, consumer education, and consulting expertise, Kaiser said. In other words, overhead. This is overhead that didn't exist before Obamacare. Remember that the Democrats promised Obamacare would bring out bureaucratic waste and inefficiency from health care, not add to it. What it's done instead is redistribute money from millions of businesses, workers, and families across the country to a handful of well-heeled and well-connected government contractors orbiting Washington, D.C. 
I feel really good that the defense industry is getting, you know, healthcare money, don't you? No. <laughs> no, not not even remotely, Jen. I, I know. It really it does kind of piss you off when you read it. <laughs> I I guess this show is turning out to be pretty funny. People are seeming to enjoy it more than most shows. <laughs> Or very. <laughs> I know, and and we don't and we don't want to wake him up, you guys. He only sleeps like once every three or four days. The producer is very. <laughs> There's no muting the producer. No, at least this is it, he, he's a better producer than you know, the guy who produced Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! We did wake him up. I'm we sorry. Wake you up. We didn't mean to. We could have gone on with the boring stuff for another few hours. At, at least we know what'll put you to sleep, Barry. Yeah, not sleeping for days. Yeah, well, I figured it was <laughs> that the boring stories about the intelligence community. They were really bad. And long. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of them. Yeah, there there are a lot of them. Yeah. Lots and lots of them. But I'll, I'll try not to go through too many more of them. It was really sad, too, because I was crying at the end and you were, you were snoring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that really was boring, wasn't it? But the government has figured out how to um, make evil shit happen. They disguise it in something very, very, very boring. Something that'll put people to sleep, and that's how they get to go around and do evil shit all the time. So we know what their secret is. That's what they do with laws as well. Oh yeah. Um. Do you have the Stingray audio? Oh yeah. You want to play it? Okay. Okay. Stand by for action. About to launch Stingray. can happen in the next half hour. Baltimore prosecutors withdrew key evidence in a robbery case Monday rather than reveal details of the cell phone tracking technology police used to gather it. The surprise turn in Baltimore Circuit Court came after a defense attorney pressed a city police detective to reveal how officers had tracked his client. 
City Police Detective John L. Haley, member of a specialized phone tracking unit, said officers did not use the controversial device known as a stingray. But when pressed on how phones are tracked, he cited what he called a non-disclosure agreement with the FBI. You don't have a non-disclosure agreement with the court, Baltimore Circuit Judge Barry G. Williams replied. Williams threatened to hold Haley in contempt if he did not respond. Prosecutors decided to withdraw the evidence instead. The tense exchange during the motion to suppress evidence in the robbery trial of 16-year-old Shamar Taylor was the latest confrontation in a growing campaign by defense attorneys and advocates for civil liberties nationwide to get law enforcement to provide details of their phone tracking technology and how they use it. Law enforcement officials in Maryland and across the country say they are prohibited from discussing the technology at the discretion of federal government, which has argued that knowledge of the devices would jeopardize investigations. Courts are slowly starting to grapple with these issues, said Nathan Freed Wessler, an attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union who is tracking Stingray cases. What we're talking about is basic information about a very commonly used police tool, but because of the extreme secrecy that police have tried to invoke, there are not many court decisions about Stingrays. Defense attorney Joshua Inslee still believes that police used a stingray to find Taylor. He cited a letter in which prosecutors said they were prohibited by the Department of Justice from disclosing information about the methods used in their investigation. The portable device was developed for the military to help zero in on cell phones. It mimics a cell phone tower to force nearby phones to connect to it. Records show that the Baltimore Police Department purchased a stingray for $133,000 in 2009. Some critics say the use of tech of such technology might be appropriate with court approval to help law enforcement locate a suspect, but the secrecy surrounding its use, they say, it's not always clear law enforcement officials have secured necessary approval or stayed within their bounds. In the case before the court Monday, two teens are accused of robbing a Papa John's delivery driver at gunpoint in April. Police say phone records show that the phone that was used to call the delivery was also used to make and receive hundreds of phone calls to and from Taylor's phone. Police believe the first phone belonged to Taylor's co-defendant. They say Taylor confessed after he was arrested. Taylor is being tried as an adult. The other suspect is being tried as a juvenile. In court Monday, the robbery detective who prepared the warrant to search Taylor's home testified that members of the department's advanced technical team did a ride-by described in court papers as a sophisticated technical equipment to determine one of the, if one of the phones was inside the home. Detective Ellen Savage said he did not know what technology or techniques the unit employs. The defense then called Haley to the stand. He said police can use data from cell phone companies to locate phones in real time. Inslee asked Haley whether police can ascertain a phone's location independently without the help of a phone company. Haley said yes. When asked how he balked. I wouldn't be able to get into that. Inslee tried again later. Haley responded that police can get GPS data from phone companies. Then there's equipment we would use that I'm not going to discuss that would aid us in the investigation, Haley said. Williams, the judge, instructed Haley to answer the question. Haley invoked the non-disclosure agreement. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't, Haley said. My husband's over here snoring to Serpico. Williams called Inslee's question appropriate and threatened to hold Haley in contempt if he did not answer. Haley demurred again, and Assistant State Attorney Patrick R. Seidel conferred with other prosecutors in order to observe the hearing. Finally, Seidel said prosecutors would drop all evidence found during the search of the home, including, authorities have said, a forty-five caliber handgun and the cell phone. 
the prosecutor said the state would continue to pursue the charges. Wessler of the ACLU said Williams was right to ignore the non-disclosure agreement with the FBI. You can't contract out constitutional disclosure obligations, Wessler said. A secret written agreement does not invalidate Maryland public records law and does not invalidate due process requirements of giving information to a criminal defendant. I think that's right. I think you should have to answer if you're asked. And am I wrong? No, not at all. If a judge tells you you need to tell us, then you need to fucking tell us. Yeah, exactly. I think it's funny how I've made all the men around me snore tonight. <clears throat> I was going to say that's, <laughs> that's two for two. <laughs> that's two for two. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, uh, it feels really weird. I feel really weird talking about all this really crappy stuff right around Christmas. You know what I mean? Because it's Christmas doesn't mean that the government gets less depressing, Jan. I know, I'm just saying, I feel weird talking about it. It's like there's other, well, no, actually, there's not really other stuff out there. But <laughs> <laughs> there is, but uh, it really wouldn't make for an interesting show. Um, talking about cops. A cop is being fired for not using violence to resolve the situation. A 20-year veteran of the CSU Montgomery Bay Police Force was given a notice of termination this week for choosing not to immediately resort to violent escalation during a confrontation with a suicidal student. The unidentified officer was the first one on the scene when responding to an incident involving a suicidal college student in his CSUMB dorm room in February of this year. The officer showed a heartening level of restraint when dealing with a student who was in his room with a knife and a hammer and was also threatening to light himself on fire. He was clearly a danger to himself and he was in crisis, Marina Police Chief Edmundo Rodriguez said. We're trying to keep him from accessing weapons or leave to get him medical attention. Instead of immediately resorting to violence, this officer was talking the student down and de-escalating the situation. The officer was successful in calming the student down and was going to get him a glass of water when the Marina Police Department showed up and immediately began tasering the student. The campus officer refused to taser the student as he did not perceive a threat. Subsequently, Rodriguez's department later issued a failure to act complaint against the campus officer, accusing him of not engaging in a highly agitated situation. It defies logic and extremely disappointing that at a time when law enforcement is under fire for using more force than necessary, an officer is being terminated for attempting to use civilized methods to resolve the situation, the student's father said. Our officer did not believe he was any threat at all, said Jeff Solomon, the union's president. The other officer started yelling and screaming to get down, tased him multiple times, and from what we understand, told the university officer to tase him again, Solomon said. The officer has been on paid leave since April, according to his attorney, who said she will now file a lawsuit against the university. We believe the officer in this case exercised restraint and good judgment in not tasing a student that was suffering from mental health issues, the officer's attorney Kathleen Storm said. This incident highlights the sick and... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't you think when something like that happens, you should be applauded and not, you know, fired for it? Maybe it's Yeah, me. they seem to have um, gone from trusting the experience and judgment of their officers to 
Use brute force. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, it's just crazy, crazy. Speaking of crazy, crazy, Jeannie, do you see the story under this? Uh, yeah. I was surprised you weren't wanting to talk about that first, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of left me speechless, too. Um, yeah. Sandy Hook parents to sue gunmaker Bushmaster. The horrific Sandy Hook school shooting two years ago on December 14th that left 20 children and six adults dead in Newton, Connecticut, could have a new chapter on behalf of the victims with several potential lawsuits. Parents of about 13 of the 20 victims, possibly more, will reportedly take part in a lawsuit against gun manufacturer Bushmaster, according to The Guardian. The Sandy Hook lawsuit against the gunmaker, which made the gun used by the killer in the school shooting, will be formally announced on Monday. That would be today. The Sandy Hook shooting shocked the entire world largely because of the young age of most of the victims. It led to a media frenzy of reporters who descended on the small town just before Christmas and has left many unresolved questions over access to weapons and the mental health of those who ultimately become violent. Shooter Adam Lanza killed his mother using a weapon found in her own stockpile of guns before he went on a shooting rampage at Sandy Hook Elementary School, killing he teachers and students. He fucking weapon. He stole it. Yes, he did. He killed her with it, and then he went off to act like a loon with it. Just reading what's written here. I know. I don't agree with 99% of it. A new analysis of school shootings at K-12 institutions nationally found that there have been 95 shootings in the two years since the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012. Chicago Tribune reports that those shootings have claimed the lives of 45 people and injured another 78, according to the analysis. The attorney on the Sandy Hook case against Bushmaster is the same man who took up the case of Michael Jackson's family in their wrongful death lawsuit. The parents of 11 Sandy Hook victims say they also plan to make a wrongful death claim just in time for the legal deadline of filing such a claim. Bushmaster is a North Carolina-based manufacturer that makes the AR-15 rifle, Lindsay used at Sandy Hook Elementary, but the company has not confirmed whether they have been notified of a lawsuit. Local newspaper, the Hartford Courant, reports, though, that their sources, through their sources, several families had already met with the law firm Kosoff, Kosoff, and Biter in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Other potential lawsuits on the table include legal action against the town over security issues and against the state of Sandy Hook Shooter's mother, Nancy Lanza. The deadline for those suits is also two years. The case against Nancy Lanza's estate would technically be against the insurance company that is the policyholder of Lanza's new town home. The house where she was murdered by her own son remains the largest asset, but it was turned over to the town and is valued at about $64,000. She also had homeowner's insurance, which is a possible lawsuit target for the parents of Sandy Hook victims. Jeannie so, let's sue the murder victim. Because, I'm sorry, but this is what she was. She was a murder victim. How many times did this woman ask for help with this fucking kid and everybody turned her away? I agree. 
I know. And and I mean, I'm telling you, Jan, I can take every, any single one of my weapons, okay, and leave it sitting in a doorway, unsupervised, mm-hmm. and it's not going to kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, they don't get up off the front porch and go looking for people to shoot. And I mean, and it's bullshit. And these lawsuits are fucking bullshit because... If I get hit by a drunk driver, Jan, am I allowed to sue Chevy and Budweiser? Hell no. I would get laughed out of fucking court. Well, maybe. If this case sets some sort of fucking precedent, maybe you would be. And next week, RAS will be suing Boeing and Lockheed for the drone (laughs) attacks. All you need is precedent for something to happen once. And if there's legal precedent... A judge will take that into under advisement and into account when making a decision. So you know, and I'm not begrudging the these families, you know, and I'm or I'm not not begrudging. I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the families of the people that were killed. I'm not, but they need to get a fucking grip. Um, this this trying to blame everyone for what a mentally ill boy did is just ridiculous it's it's ridiculous kevin is gonna have a field day with this i don't can you hear my husband no i cannot nice so glad i don't have an omnidirectional mic (laughs) it's it's pretty loud (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah, and you know, and I agree with stereo. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just the the person to blame for all of this was the mentally ill young man that m- his mother was his first victim. Honestly, if you want to get down to brass tacks, if you look at every person blamed for a school shooting, look at what they all have in common. They're on SSRI inhibitors. I said it right after Sandy Hook happened. Most of these people who get involved and convicted of mass shootings are on SSRI drugs. That does something to how your brain processes the various chemicals in your brain. Maybe teenagers shouldn't be on that shit maybe it's just a bad idea to mess with kids brains chemically when there are other options for dealing with them it might be slightly more expensive but you might have slightly more alive children by the end of such counseling and i don't know why counseling really isn't tried first in a lot of these cases but i I suspect it has a lot to do with fucking health insurance sorry no, no, it's the same over here. I've been yeah. getting treatment for quite some time, and therapy still hasn't happened. You know, it it's a much better way, at least for kids. You know, when you've got a brain that's not fully formed, I just don't think it's a good idea to be dicking around with the chemistry, especially since we don't really know how most drugs work. We have an idea, we suspect, we think, we still don't even know the direct route that aspirin works on in the body and brain. Still, 
at this point in time. We can make guesses, we can look at the chemistry, but we still really don't know. And the brain, which is like the hardest thing to unravel, we still don't know everything about that. So maybe dicking with the chemistry of a child's brain is not the way to go. Just saying. I'm just saying. <sighs> SSRIs are okay for teenagers, but pot and vaping are bad. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, I don't think I still fail to understand the concept of Ritalin. I mean, your kid has attention deficit disorder, so... That's let's not a real disease. Yeah, let's feed them synthetic cocaine. But that's not, Yeah, that makes sense. But that's not even a real disease. I mean, the man who came up with the diagnosis has said more than once it wasn't a real disease. It's not real. It doesn't exist. It's something they made up to sell fucking drugs. That's a problem. So, basically, you can count on the banks to get theirs, the drug companies to get theirs, and fuck you if you die and take a bunch of people out with you at the same time. As long as they get theirs, it doesn't fucking matter to them. Yeah, don't sue the drug company. Sue the gun maker. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and this is completely off this topic, but it's kind of related. All these school shootings and all of these people are in this horrible uproar and they need to do something, they need to do something. No, you don't. I posted a fact the other day on my Facebook page and it in regards to another situation, but it mm-hmm. leads into this. As of yesterday or the day before, there had been 384 murders in Chicago this year. Home of gun control. This year. Right. Have they sent Eric Holder there? Mm-mm. Are there protests there? Yes. Are are there no. riots and protests there, Jan? No, they're not riots. There are protests there. Okay. But there are not riots and protests there. People's businesses aren't being burned to the ground over this. Well, I mean, Chicago is like... You know, it, it, it's turning into the next Detroit, so... It, Possibly a fire would improve the place somewhat. And when I say that, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm saying, you know, clean out all the old buildings, maybe stimulate some new construction. Big barbecue. (laughs) Big barbecue. Um, Yeah, hopefully with most of the people out of town. But Chicago's heading to a point where it's as bad as Detroit. And and I agree with you, but uh, I agree with you in a different way when you look at... The closer you look, the less you see. All of this blaming people that are anything but responsible for what's going on is just craziness. It's just stupid. The closer you look, the less you see. I said it before. I still stand by that. What has been going on in the government big time? At the same time, they were having race riots. Well, the government's broke. Oil's dropping below $40 a barrel. The price of gas is going down for the first time, which is like the only good thing that's happened to the lower classes and the middle class in a really long time. But 
with that being said, all the high paying jobs that they've created doing fracking, they're going to dry up and go away. OPEC has said they have no problem letting oil drop to between anywhere between 20 and $40 a barrel. They have no problem. They're not going to stop production. Okay. You notice, where do we always go to have a war? Where the oil is? Why is that? I've always wondered about that. Because I mean, it's the money. It's always about the money. It's always about the money. There's always something. When the government gets involved and talks up something else, you can bet two or three days after some horrible thing happens, you'll find out some other terrible thing the government did, like repealing... I just broke the arm in my chair. Sorry. Like repealing the banking regulations, which sucked anyway, but you're now pretty much repealing any sort of protection we would have. Like getting rid of all of the pensions. Like making it to get to the point where they can just take your money out of the bank. And we all know that these things have happened. I've, I've been able to point those things out and, you know, maybe not talk about the history behind it. But I guess I could do that sometime if I really want to put Barry to sleep. I could talk about the history of banking and why it's so fucked up and corrupt. But we know all the really big bad things that have happened have been about the money. They're trying to take everybody's mind off the money. If you can keep us divided and fighting against each other instead of sticking up for and supporting each other, we would be unstoppable if we could agree on like one thing. We could change the world. I don't say that lightly. And I'm not talking about going and watering trees in Washington. Some people will get that. Some people will not. We could just get together and agree on one or two core things. We could change the very way politics works. The way banking works. The way all of this is structured. But people are too distracted. And they're not paying attention and the government's waving their right hand in your face, and you're not focusing on what their left hand's doing. That's the problem. That's the problem at the heart of all of it. We're easily distracted. Even the people who are paying attention are easily distracted. Do you hear about Ebola anymore? We do over here. You do over there. But it's still going. It's still going. 7,000 people have died. They found another outbreak of it in... Where was it, Barry? Oh, I can't remember. Right, but they found another outbreak where the bodies were just stacked like cordwood. Okay? In in a really remote part of Africa. So 7,000 people have died. You didn't really hear about it after they imported all the people with Ebola here, not all of them, but the three or four people that they bought here, you stopped hearing about it. It's not, in my mind, none of this is accidental that all these horrible things are happening, that it feels like your legs are being cut out from under you, and it's every day it's something worse. It's kind of on purpose, and it's kind of, 
to keep you distracted from what's really going on. And we all fall into it. And it's really hard not to. Because even when you dig for news, you find the stuff that I'm talking about. We're still not talking about stuff that I can't prove but believe. This is the stuff I believe. Even the stuff we talk about, as truthful as it is, as little as you'll hear about it on the news, it does matter, but there's more stuff than that that matters. you got to pay attention to that stuff, the stuff that makes you think there's something else going on. The problem is, I don't like to talk about what I can't prove because it makes me sound crazy. But I don't think I sound crazy right now. Just pay attention. Don't let them divide you. They do it. They even do it with us as vapors. If you look, you've got us versus the subomers. Why? We're all basically the same, right? We all want the same thing. We just want to have a good time. They don't mind setting off smoke alarms, and I do, but there's not really that much difference between us. And yet we let it exist. And by letting it exist, it weakens us. When we're weak, we're vulnerable. When we're vulnerable, they can take us down and make it like we never existed. The only divides in vaping that really bother me, okay, the, the sub-omer, not sub-omer, that doesn't bother me. Whatever, just grow the fuck up. The ones that really bother me are the, well, I belong to this organization, and it's the best, and that one over there sucks, and I, that's what bothers me. Um, if, it's a, if it is an organization that is out there fighting for people's rights to vape and to keep vaping legal and to keep it available for all of the smokers out there, then shut the fuck up. If you don't like it, fine. Don't like it. But that doesn't mean you go out on the internet and you bash it. I agree. There's lots of things that happen that I I don't agree with. There are are even some things that some other organizations do that I'm not in love with. Um, I'm not going to say Kasa is the best. Kasa is just the oldest. Um, And I've always been involved with it was just natural for me to try and help out when they needed it or whatever Um, doesn't mean I wouldn't have been involved with any other group had they asked me because like you said they're all trying to do something and people involved with that really are trying hard one reason it's um, so easy for all these splits to end up happening is the tribal nature of humans. We like being in our little groups and since we're no longer in tribes in the western world you end up creating them artificially. Oh, Kevin has something he has wants to say. Okay. Can I drag him into this phone call? You can try. Or, I guess, very can. Yeah, should be able to. Just need to find them on the list. 
Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Oh, uh, having a having a dandy night, putting the men around me to sleep, and uh, I just finished reading the Senate torture report. So it's been a good day for me. I have something I have to say, and I think this is suited for your show. Okay. And I have to say, this drives me nuts. Today, I'm sure you saw this, Jan. Uh, <laughs> ten of these families that were part of the Sandy Hook tragedy. It was a terrible thing to happen. They're, they're children. <laughs> there you go. go ahead. Okay, there's a, they're suing Bushmaster. This is absolutely absurd. Um, this is like me getting into a car accident, and the person, I get injured, and the person that was driving a Toyota, I decide to sue Toyota. This is the stupidest thing ever. It's a frivolous lawsuit. It makes no sense. It's terrible. And I feel compassion for these poor people that lost their children but on the same token i hope bushmaster sues each and every one of them for all the costs they're going to endure from this frivolous lawsuit this is this is just disgusting that's exactly what i say kevin (laughs) it is it's disgusting i can't believe this i mean that that's insane (laughs) there's no way they're going to win this i mean it's absurd and i think no no way there's, okay, so if they win this, then what that's going to mean is everybody who gets in a car accident, they're going to sue the car manufacturers. They're going to say, well, look at the Bushmaster case. You know, they, they sued the, the gun company, and then they won. So if someone hits me uh, driving a Toyota, I'm suing Toyota. Or I mean, the drunk driver sued Toyota and Budweiser. Mudflap, are you anywhere near Skype? I mean, this is absurd. I feel bad for these people. I do. But suing Bushmaster, the, the company that made the gun, the, the, this is the stupidest thing ever. It's, it's absurd. People suing the woman's estate, and she was the first murder victim, for f- sake. Let yeah. me know when. Look, people don't want to take responsibility for themselves anymore. That's one of the biggest problems we have. They want to be coddled and taken care of by the government because they're just used to that. They want someone to hold them and tell them that everything will be all right. You know, and for some people... It's happened, and that means I should get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Try getting hurt on the job, people. I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you go to work and you lose an arm, and they're going to give you $5,000 and tell you to fuck off. Well, that's if you're lucky. That's if you're lucky. They'll give you five grand and tell you to fuck off. But if it's something that makes the news, you should get a lawyer and sue anything that's remotely related to it in any way, shape, or form. And everybody will side with you and say, yes, we feel bad, so they should get this money. It's ridiculous. Yeah, if you're you're reading these articles here, expect a judge to toss this case as being without merit almost immediately. The Sandy Hook parents don't have a viable case. They're acting on powerful emotions, but not logic and not on the law. This is not even going to go anywhere. It's going to get thrown out in a second. I agree. Um, Barry, can you drag Mudflap in? Do you have him as a contact? Uh, I don't think I've got him as a contact. I, I do. have him as a contact. I do. Okay. Well, somebody else drag yeah. him in here. Bring him in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. It really is. Oh. I feel bad for, for Bushmaster. Well, I feel bad for Bushmaster, too. Uh, that's... When you get right down to it, that's not really... All of this started, and I really hate to 
use this example because this woman really did get hurt with that McDonald's coffee. That woman really did get hurt. She really did get burned. And she got burned quite badly. I don't know why McDonald's felt like they needed to heat their coffee up on the sun and then serve it to this woman. But get that by, but by the same hot coffee, I'm not going to put it in my crotch either. But exactly. By the same token, who the fuck does that? And $52 million for fuck's sake? Well, she got some pretty, like, she got third degree burns on her, her inner thighs. And, and I'm not making that up. She was in the hospital for quite a long time. Um, so did somebody add mud flap yet? I the, added, but it doesn't okay. Is added. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think the only person I could add him is the person that started this call. Can you uh, share right. his contact information with Barry? Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you. A lot of the problems in this country stem from the fact that no one wants to take responsibility for themselves. That's what most of this comes down to. That's what all these stupid-ass lawsuits come from. I spilled hot coffee in my lap and I got burned. It's McDonald's fault. Kind of, but who the hell puts coffee right there in their crotch area? I, I, I really like what's in that area. I like not messing it up, not screwing it up. Everything works the way it should, so I try not to endanger it. Hot coffee there was stupidity on that woman's part. And I hate to say that. It was. But she won that lawsuit. And then that opened the door for people like John Banzaff. This is the man who taught a class at Georgetown University Law School called Sue the Bastards. And some of his most wonderful lawsuits um, have ranged from suing dry cleaners for charging more to clean women's clothing than men's, for charging women more for haircuts and things of that nature. These are always things that have just kind of been built into the economy, built into the way things work. And he's sued over those things. He's also sued over other things. The film Supersize Me. Um, you don't get to be that size unless you choose to put that food in your mouth, right? That's right. That's your responsibility. That's right. The, gov- the government has not one fucking thing to do with your choices. They shouldn't. They should butt the hell out. You want to kill yourself by gorging on McDonald's every day? You should have the right to do that. It's your body. You put into it what you want. But you also shouldn't go grabbing a damn lawyer every time something goes wrong. Sometimes in life, shit just sucks. Sometimes your kid's going to get shot. It's not the fault of the gun manufacturer. It's not. It just is. This is just absolutely absurd. And I hope, I really hope, that you know what, they probably won't. Bush Pastor probably will not go after these people for all, if, if they have to go through this lawsuit for the money uh, they're going to be out of, because they know it'll just be bad PR. Um, and that's a shame, but they should. They really should. If this costs them money legally and they have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend this absurd lawsuit, I hope they go after each and every one of those families. Well, I mean, you know this is just a show. We have mud flop. Okay. You and I, you're here? 
Hello? Hi. You and I talked about personal responsibility. Yes, we did. That is, yeah. And that is extremely lacking. And can you see where I think a lot of the problems in this country come from that? Absolutely. Okay. Blame the other guy. It's somebody else's fault. I got hurt. I need to sue someone. I need the government to take care of me. If and yet, go ahead. If you're not a victim, you're champion, championing, however the hell you say that, some other victim. And it's crazy. It is. People don't take responsibility for themselves and living their lives anymore. I Much tried to blow, blow dry my hair in the bathtub and electrocuted myself <laughs> and put some stupid fucking label on the thing that says, don't use this electrical appliance in the bathtub because you're too fucking stupid to know the electricity and water don't mix. Hey, hey Mudflap. Yes, sir. Can you go arrest these families, please? <laughs> I, no jurisdiction, brother. That's outside of his jurisdiction. Oh, that's a shame. I am but, not a fed. That's, that's a good thing. Those are the cops I trust least. And why don't they start arresting people for bringing up frivolous lawsuits? Maybe it would stop a lot of these frivolous lawsuits. Maybe if people feared going to jail, if they brought up a frivolous lawsuit, they would stop. Because yeah, it is not criminal. It should be. Uh, we have laws well, in the UK to stop frivolous lawsuits. Well, And people then, have been jailed. Then maybe we need some of that here. Yes. Yes, we do. If the UK is doing that, good for them. Then, then, then we need that here. It's been on the books since before TV was invented over here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, our laws have been around a while. Yeah, but, uh, they have. But you also have a really good separation between personal law and other law. We yeah, I mean, the, the law lords over here um, regularly uh, meet and discuss... Uh, cases like this you know like over here they wouldn't be able to bring that lawsuit because it is ridiculous um, they could sue the the estate of the woman unfortunately um, because it was her son but they couldn't sue a manufacturer of an item of equipment unless the but item of equipment was shown to be not operating in the way it was designed to yeah, and but, this one obviously was doing exactly yeah, it, what... It, it, it did pretty well, yeah. But let me tell you what angers me about this too, okay? Because they discussed this when this all went down a year or two, whenever it went, I think it was a year or two years ago, um, when this went down. This woman tried to get help for her son. In the state of Connecticut, if you want to get help for your mentally ill and or out of control child, there is nothing there's nothing. No insurance will cover it. You can't get insurance to cover, say, putting him in some sort of uh, psychiatric center. OK, you have to come up with at least fifty, sixty thousand dollars if you want to get your child in a psychiatric center to get him help. DCF does in here in Connecticut does absolutely nothing. They're a fucking joke. In fact, they're so bad that a few years back, the federal government had to take over our DCF because it was it was so horrific. And they just got control back. The state did last year, and it's worse than ever. They, they do absolutely nothing. There is nowhere for any parent in this state to turn to 
to get help for their child if they're mentally ill or if they're troubled. There's none. If you want help for them, you better have a big wallet or a lot of money in the bank because it's the only way you're going to get help. And that needs to change. That is the problem. These people should be suing the state of Connecticut for not supplying adequate care for this kid when his mother is trying to seek out help for him. That's what they should be suing. Again, this this kind of goes back to personal responsibility. She knew her son was not well. I mean, at all. And she liked guns. And that's her prerogative. I don't think if I had a child that I knew was not well, that I would take them and train them in marksmanship. I'm just saying. Now, did did she was she a gun enthusiast or was her son the gun gun enthusiast and she just provided him with guns to? No, she was no, the gun enthusiast. Was. Yeah, she okay. was big gun enthusiast. Oh yeah, and she should have been a Kevlar enthusiast. Yeah. And like she I said, of not locking up her guns and keeping them away. Yeah, she she did screw up. She made mistakes. But she also, and it was reported for quite a few years, tried to get help for her son. And, there, and she, she was right. There's nowhere in the state to turn to for help. There's, there's no sort of programs set up. There's nothing set in place. There's nothing. If your son has a mental illness, illness too fucking bad. Either there's, come up with know, the outrageous amount of money to send him to a, a, a psychiatric center or you're just screwed. Mentally ill people who act out are useful. Why would you treat them? <laughs> <They're useful. laughs> um, when I was a kid, um, there there was a children's home in Buffalo, New York, called Father Baker's. Did did any of your parents ever threaten to take you guys to the children's home when you were acting like a little asshole? No, no. That that's no. what my mother did. Yeah, my mother used to tell us, you know, before the threat before she beat our ass was. If you don't straighten your shit up right now, I'm taking you to Father Baker's and I'm leaving you there. They don't have. And she'd start listing off toys. And, you know, I mean, and that was the thing when we were when we were little. And I mean, and my mother's full blooded Italian. So she only said that once. And when my mother said stop, she meant right now or I was getting my ass whooped. If my mother was a parent today, that poor woman be in jail. And I don't think that my mother raised me wrong. Yep, yeah. she would be in jail. They train kids now. If you lay a hand on your children, if you spank them, if you wait, lay one finger on your children, all they have to do is go to school and say, my mother or father hit me, and it's all over. You're going to have to state up your ass. You're, 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 it, it, it's unbelievable what they do to you. That, that does not happen anymore. It, you, you can't do that. My father used to kick me in the ass. He used to say, you fucking idiot, and kick me right in the ass. Um, slap me up across the head if, if I was being a real shithead. You can't do that anymore. No, no, no. Does not happen. And these kids know it. And it's a shame. Because some kids, you know, you, you can try to discipline them all you want. They just, they don't care. They're like, hey, fuck you. I'm not going to listen. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing we can do about it. On, on the flip side of that, Kevin, my, my youngest is five years old. And I, I never spank him because it does not work. It does not correct his behavior. It does not change his mind. 
hit the way he's wired is you have to sell him on whatever you want him to do. You have to paint a picture and make it appealing to him, and then he'll get on board with whatever it is you want him to do. Uh, two or three years ago, we had uh, a, an incident where I was trying to be the authoritarian dad, and he was just rebelling, and I spanked him a couple of times that night, and it it didn't correct his behavior, so... I don't spank him anymore, not because I have this huge qualm about spanking. It just wasn't effective for him as an individual. Every kid is different. But and I that's, can... that's what all this stuff doesn't address, is that every kid is different. Different things work with different kids. Um, I got four of them, Mudflap, and the way I discipline all four of them is different. I, I, that's I, what works. Well, I have three. You got one up on me, but I... I <laughs> I'm in total agreement with you. They're individuals. They need to be treated with individual as individuals. And if you're going to take on the uh, responsibility of raising a human being, you need to do a little bit of homework on parenting and figuring out what makes kids ticks and, and, and tailor your approach to their individual personalities. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it's tough these days. And, and you know, again, Mudflap, I have a son. He's 17 years old. He's out of control. He could give a shit about what I have to say. He just doesn't listen to me. Well, um, that's well, 17, Kevin. Well, <laughs> but, no, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, it, it goes way beyond. But when he was younger, you know, I was divorced from his mother. He lived, you know, with me 90% of the time. He was with her 10% of the time. And, you know, I, I never let it. I never spanked. Never, I never believed in that. Never did any of that. You know, he was fine. He was a happy kid. Just great, good, perfect grades. Could ask for a better kid. You know, and then when he got into seventh grade, he had so much difficulty with his mother uh, growing up in such a bad relationship. He just kind of shut down emotionally. He just shut down. And, and he's been shut down ever since. And it's just been, it's been really, really tough. He just, you know, it's not just me. He doesn't listen at school. He doesn't listen to anybody. He does what the fuck he wants. It's, you know, and he just has no feeling about it or anything about it whatsoever. It's, it's, it's terrible. And it's, it's really difficult for some people to parent when, you know, I'm parenting one way. I, God knows whatever she was doing uh, the other way. Um, we were never really in communication with each other because we just couldn't speak without uh, yelling at each other. So we just didn't. Um, you know, it, it, it was tough. And, uh, I've been through this for the past three years with him trying to get him help to, 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 you know, so he can have a good productive life and not be the way he is. And it's 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 extremely tough. You know, it's just been a battle. And, uh, you know, I, I just I don't know what else to do. It's a shame. But I, I also think that we're in a different time. You know, when yeah. we were, when I was a kid, um, Geez, we didn't have internet and cell phones. I mean, things were very simple. Uh, it's not like that anymore. You could you go know? outside and play without somebody calling the cops because your child was out in the front yard unaccompanied. You could ride a bike without a helmet. You could ride in the back of somebody's pickup truck. You know, you can't do any of that anymore. God forbid, if your kid's out riding a bike in this town without a helmet, the cops are going to come and give you a ticket. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> That's yeah. insane. And the kids don't want to wear the helmet because they feel stupid. I don't want to wear this. I feel dumb wearing a helmet. And it's like, well, 
you gotta, because if you don't, they're gonna come get you know, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, and you have to tell the kid, uh, the cops are gonna come arrest me. And the kid's like, so why is that <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah, and, um, I don't think there's any easy answer to any of this stuff. It's all bundled up in how we see the government, in how we see ourselves. And there's just no easy answer. People are desperate for help and can't get it. People pay their taxes and are good citizens and then their children need help and they can't get it. But if you were what I like to call a sponge, someone who had been in the system forever and had never had a job, you had a child who acted up mildly, there'd be help all over the place for them. And that's not fair. It it penalizes the people who are attempting to do the right thing. There's very few of them left because it feels like you're trying to run up a hill as a mountain slide's coming down. And that's what this whole thing feels like, I think. The whole vaping battle with the FDA, the whole government passing ridiculous laws, the whole people filing lawsuits because they want theirs. It just makes you think that after a while, you are weary of doing the right thing because of what other people do. People do need to step up and take some responsibility for their lives. They don't want to. They definitely do not want to. It's been bred out of us in our culture And it has just snowballed into the huge clusterfuck we have now. And so now when individuals don't want to take personal responsibility and they have an interaction with a law enforcement officer such as myself and they decide that the way to uh, deal with that interaction is to uh, not submit but to fight back. And then it escalates and it turns into a something tragic, you know. And the, the response is, well, there was police misconduct. The police acted inappropriately. It's the police's fault. My, my, my stance on that is, you know, when you have a police encounter and they are not acting appropriately, give them enough rope to hang themselves. You can easily find a local uh, attorney and you can take that up in court and you can get a big old payday out of that if your civil rights are being violated. It will not stand up in a court of law. That is still true in our country today. Don't resist arrest because that just gets you dead. You know, if if, if they're violating your civil rights, um, let them. You're not going to resolve that on the spot. Take it up in a courtroom down the road and you will get everything you got coming to you and then some. And it will be addressed. That's, it's an imperfect system, but that's the way it's set up. And it, it, for now, it still works. 
but the narrative says, you know, that there there's no way you can win and you might as well go for broke and fight back and you know th- there there are some bad apples in the profession but the majority of them want to do right by people while performing their duties and but you know our our oath to serve and protect does not include an oath to go out and die for anyone you know, we want to get home to our families just like everyone else. And it it's just gotten nuts. There are ways to resist without injuring yourself or others. Without getting yourself hurt, without getting yourself shot. Um, and yeah, you will be arrested for resisting arrest, which means your only crime was refusing to go with the officer. But it's still better at the end of the day to be alive. You know, I, I think uh, a lot, I, I think there's officers out there who just want you to comply. You know, I, I was, a few years ago, I was going to Pennsylvania for Christmas and I was probably doing, I don't know, 85, 90 down the highway. I got pulled over. Okay. I was uh, definitely speeding. And the, and the cop came up with this very, you know, kind of like asshole attitude. Like, you know how fast you're going? And da, 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 this, that. I, you know, he, I, I said, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure, officer. He says, you were doing 85. I said, okay, well, if you say I was, then, then, then I was. I apologize. And that, he calmed down very quick. Calmed down very quick, took my stuff, came back, and he let me go. Don't give me a ticket. You know, he, I think it, you just, I think you just agree with him. Just comply. Say as little as possible and be as nice as possible. And I, you know, people get pulled over and they argue and, oh, I wasn't doing this or I didn't do that. Just say, yeah, I was. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mudflat, but I think like a good portion of the time, if you just agree and comply, they may even probably just let you go. But if you start fucking with them and arguing with them and saying, listen, you know, I wasn't doing it, you know, you're, 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 it's probably not in your best interest. You're, you're on the right track. Um, you know, body cameras are going to become the standard. Wait, it's wait. To, time out. The, yeah. the best thing you can do is not break the fucking law. But that well, means... <laughs> what, if you, well, <laughs> what if you do? Yes. That involves personal responsibility. But... Again. Like, like I said, body, body, body cameras are going to become the norm... It's going to take a few more years, but um, it's going to get to the point where everybody, every law enforcement officer is going to be equipped with a body camera recording every uh, citizen contact. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. I, I have no qualms about that. But right now what we have is dash cams are the norm. And if it's a traffic stop in, uh, situation, you know, everything that's going on is on that dash cam. And if uh, the officer is acting inappropriately, you know, that is not the time to call him on it. Just be compliant and let him hang him on, let that officer hang himself with their inappropriate uh, actions and then go get you that attorney and take it up in a courtroom. And 
Do you think body cams, and I think this is the case, but what do you think? But do you think body cams is going to eliminate bad cops out there because they really won't be able to be bad anymore if they're going to have a camera on them filming everything they're doing? Do you think that'll happen? Eliminate, no. But when an uh, officer is conscious that his interaction is being recorded, then he or she will be... On their best th- behavior. They will be more inclined not to deviate from um, what they're supposed to be doing as far as uh, 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 appropriate um, behavior and performance of their duties. And when they get the uh, false accusations and it, it's, it's rampant, you know, um, people love to make false accusations about their interaction with law enforcement. Keep people more you know, both sides of the fence. Yeah. And, and so, like I said, I, I have no qualms about the body cams. Uh, the technology is caught up where it's feasible. Um, now, it's all it is is a budgeting issue. Each individual agency has to come up with the budget to uh, provide for them, and uh, it, it, it'll it'll be a good thing. It will will it totally fix every issue and every problem that exists today? No, but it'll, it'll go a long way toward keeping both sides of a confrontation honest. And well, yeah, I mean, we're all under surveillance pretty much all the time. Whether you know it or not, it does change how you interact with other people. There have been studies. I mean, and I think I've actually recommended the film. Um, we live in public. Yeah, I think it's we live in public and it's all about how the psychology of constant surveillance affects people's behavior. So it's a really good film. It's a documentary. You can find it. Um, But it does change how people interact with each other. People seem to behave better if they know they're being watched. It just is. It's a psychological thing. Well, the best psychological experiment I've seen on that score was uh, a guy over here called Darren Brown. He does hypnotism and psychology. But uh, the best thing he ever did was he took a wallet with 500 pens in it, left it in the middle of a shopping centre, and just drew a circle round it, and then filmed. People looked at it, they could see the money in it, but not one single person picked that wallet up. Because it had the line round it. (laughs) It's like... Somebody's watching. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the Cat Circles video? Not that this has anything to do with anything, but since we've dropped the news and are having a much more pleasant conversation, even given the topic, um, they've done stupid people on Reddit started putting circles of rope or hula hoops or, or stuff down on the ground and their cats would go sit in it. They wouldn't move. So there is something about that that appeals to a cat brain. I have no idea what it's doing to a human brain, though. Yeah. Well, it's just because you've circled the wallet, it's psychological. Somebody knows it's there, mm-hmm. so it's probably being watched. So yeah. I can't just pick it up because somebody circled it. <laughs> 
He's a very clever guy. He used um, hypnotism and suggestion to do weird things like make people commit bank robberies and all sorts of weird things. He's done a series of TV shows. Uh, he's, um, he convinced a student sitting in a room that he was invisible <laughs> and there was a box on the table. So he made the student think he was invisible. And then he was up and he was making the box move slightly. And the student kept looking at the box every time it moved. And then like, ah, must have imagined it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Then he took the lid off the box. And the student's sitting there staring at this box. And in the box was a puppet. And he started climbing the puppet out of the box. And oh my God, the kid was going mental. Unsurprisingly... <laughs> That was one of his more humorous ones. He's done convincing somebody that people in zombie makeup are real zombies. Oh, God. That was another quite humorous one. But, yeah, the, the human mind is uh, really quite pliable if you know what you're doing. Because, I mean, the bank robbery thing, he deliberately screened people that had um, no criminal tendencies whatsoever. Right. And then basically programmed them to spontaneously, it, it wasn't a bank robbery, it was a, an armoured car delivering to a bank. Oh and he put, he programmed in subtle visual cues to do with the location. And without thinking about it, the person walked into the situation. There was these boxes of money, the armed guards, and the person just went took a gun off one of the guards, picked up one of the boxes and walked off with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards was like, I don't know why I did that. I really don't know. <laughs> you know, someone that smart is pretty freaking dangerous. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> if you're a barman and you see him coming into the bar, you run away. It's like, he's going to make me give him free drink. Yeah. <laughs> We had a barman in her hotel who had, um, who did that. We had a hypnotist in, and the hypnotist said to him, "I can make it so you give me a double every time I asked for a drink." And the barman was terrified. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't know that we accomplished anything this evening. <laughs> It's okay. It's like how the government works. But thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Thank you, Mudflap, for coming on. It um, it made the last part of the show much more pleasant than it was going to be. Um, and I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. I am not sure if I'll be doing a show next week, but I wouldn't think so. Because um, I'm going to be working pretty much straight through until Christmas Eve. So all this, all this pleasant news that I read to you takes a lot of time to gather. But if I do, I would imagine it would have to be more pleasant than me dissecting the 535-page CIA torture report for you. You really don't want to hear that. So thank you so much for tuning in every week and listening 
you guys really mean a lot to me. Um, thank you, Kevin, for giving this show a home here. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Love you guys. You're my family. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas. Um, now, now it's time to put the ammo ad up. Okay. <laughs> Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. AmmoSeek.com.